Francis Perrotta, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, WeWork's big decision and an end to the General Motors strike. But first, the future of Libra. So this past Monday, a large group of technology executives gathered in Geneva to put some governance meat on the bones of Libra, the massive and highly controversial cryptocurrency project spearheaded by Facebook. Lots of companies attended, including Uber and Spotify, but the meeting was more notable for who wasn't there. A group of big-name financial services companies that bailed on Libra just days earlier after originally agreeing to be founding members. Companies like PayPal and MasterCard and Visa and Stripe. It might not have been a death blow for Libra, but it was certainly way more than a flesh wound and suggested two things. First, the financial services companies might know something Facebook doesn't about the road ahead. And two, the regulatory and political pushback could be much greater than Facebook or Libra ever initially anticipated, with some suggesting that the defectors bailed in order to protect their own standing in Washington, D.C. The big question now is if Libra will be stillborn or if a 2020 launch remains in the realm of possibility. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Bloomberg Technology reporter Kurt Wagner. But first... This. This episode is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Know everything about coding, but not so much about banking? For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been helping high-growth companies navigate through each stage of the startup journey. Stay tuned to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. We're joined now by Bloomberg Technology reporter Kurt Wagner. Let's start here. From a credibility standpoint, how important was it for Libra to have these financial services companies like eBay and and Visa and MasterCard? I think very important. I mean, you look at the list of original members that they had for this association, and all of the members who left PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, those are the ones that actually have experience in payments and financial services. So those are the companies that have been through the regulatory gauntlet that they're going to have to go through. They have experience in rolling out products and services that might you know, be relevant to Libra. So I do think that this sends a message that people who have gone through this see this as a concern and what kind of uh, signal does that send for where Libra has to go now. Do we know yet why they bailed? And more importantly, because it seems like it was coordinated, right? Because it wasn't just you know one and then a few days later. I mean, they all kind of seem to do it within a few hours of each other. Part of the timing was that on Monday, so about three days after they all left, the association was meeting to actually formally sign the paperwork and have people get on board in a more committed fashion. And so Friday was like the last working day for them to leave before they actually had to kind of take the plunge. But they could have bailed two weeks ago. You don't think they were working behind the scenes together to all go out on the same day? Even last working day, yes, but could have done it the prior Wednesday or two months ago or a month ago. Sure. I don't think that they said, hey, let's try and, you know, tank this project at the final minute. I think what happened was that they were talking with their internal teams. I think there were probably innovative teams within all of those big financial services companies that said, hey, this seems really cool. Let's do it. And then once you run it by the legal team, the legal team starts asking all these questions. So I don't think it was coordinated to try and hurt Libra in any way. I do think that in hindsight, it doesn't look good for them all to bail on the same day. But when uh, the rubber meets the road, as they say, ultimately, they had to make the final call. So, Kurt, you mentioned that meeting in Geneva. And one of the things that comes out of that is from a technical perspective, and I mean, like on paper, Facebook doesn't control Libra anymore. It is at the table, but it is one of several kind of governing members. From a practical perspective, is that true? I I understand it is, you know, on paper and legally if you're going into court, but from a practical perspective, does Facebook not really run this thing going forward? 
there's no doubt that it's the most influential member. David Marcus, who is the executive from Facebook who kind of birthed this whole thing, he's on the Libra Association board as well. So he's you know got an elevated role within that organization. And I don't think that if Facebook comes out and says, hey, I think we should do X, it's hard for me to imagine the association going and doing Y instead. While technically Facebook has one of 21 votes, I think it has an outsized influence on whatever the association chooses to do. You're right. David Marcus is the one who spearheaded this. Facebook's been kind of, has been leading this train, got everyone on involved. But, you know, when you think about what we saw in the Democratic debate the other night with some big shots at Facebook and kind of broader in terms of antitrust, et cetera, in D.C., is Facebook Libra's biggest problem from a regulatory uh, standpoint? There's no doubt that it is a problem. And it's actually a conversation I've been able to have with David Marks this week. I asked him, I said, would it be easier if you had actually launched this and you didn't work at Facebook? And he admitted that there's certainly elements of having Facebook's name attached that bring extra scrutiny and extra criticism. The one thing he said that was a pro of having this be a Facebook project is that it really expedites the timeline and it gets people's attention. So he says, you know, if I were to go out and do this on my own, no one would really be listening to me and we wouldn't be getting the regulatory conversations we're getting or the partner conversations we're getting. So the one thing Facebook brings to this is some legitimacy. On the other side of that coin, of course, is that Facebook also brings a ton of skepticism, privacy concerns, all those different things. And you have to kind of weigh the costs. In his mind, you know, the fact of uh, getting this going, getting the ball rolling is more important than just simply having something without Facebook attached, but that might take years and years to uh, actually come to fruition. Mark Zuckerberg is going to be, he'll be the sole witness actually in front of the House Committee on Financial Services next week. When it comes to Libra, what do you think is going to be the most uh, salient question asked, or, or from your perspective, if you were up there, what would be the one thing you would want to hear from him? I would want to know specifically how he thinks that this fits into Facebook's business, because, you know, there is this idea that Facebook is doing this for uh, the good of humanity, right? Payments, cross-border payments are a broken system, and that Facebook's coming in to be the hero to fix that global problem. But Facebook is a for-profit business, and they do very well at that. And so there is a business element of this for Facebook. And if I'm the U.S. government, I want to know why Facebook or what Facebook stands to benefit from Libra succeeding. Not necessarily because I think that their intentions are malicious, just because I think that'll help put the whole thing into a different perspective and so that you're no longer having this conversation with the blinders on that this could be good for Facebook. You know, if this succeeds, what does Facebook stand to gain? So it's something that I don't think has been discussed much because all the conversation thus far has been about regulation. But I do think there's an element of business here that I'd love to hear Facebook talk a little bit more about. That's interesting. And Kurt, just finally, to put you on the spot, and obviously we will completely hold you to this in the future, (laughs) will Libra launch in the year 2020? Yes or no? I'm going to say no. Kurt Wagner, technology reporter at Bloomberg. Thank you so much for joining us. Yep. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. Earlier, we highlighted Silicon Valley Bank's experience with helping startups. But with Silicon Valley Bank, you're also getting a partner committed to supporting you as you strive to hit your next milestones. Perhaps that's why 50% of VC-backed tech and life science companies choose Silicon Valley Bank. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. 
Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the ongoing saga at WeWork, which is trying to decide between a pair of unappetizing $5 billion rescue packages. One of them comes from SoftBank, which would basically give the Japanese company control over WeWork, while the other comes from JP Morgan and could weigh WeWork down with lots of new debt. Anyway, Reuters now reports that WeWork has created a special committee of just two directors to evaluate the offers. One of those directors represents Benchmark, one of WeWork's earliest venture capital investors, and the other is an independent director who used to be CEO of luxury handbag company Coach. The idea is, in Reuters' words, to, quote, ring fence the board's decision-making process. In other words, protect it from undue influence by SoftBank, which has two seats on the board, or from former CEO Adam Newman, who remains chairman. Don't be surprised to see resolution of all of this by Halloween. And finally, General Motors has signed a preliminary agreement with the United Auto Workers Union, which could end a five-week strike by tens of thousands of U.S. auto workers. We don't yet have official details of the deal, which still needs to be ratified by union members, but word is that it includes higher signing bonuses, annual wage increases, and an easier pathway for temporary workers to become full-time workers. Importantly, however, there is not yet any information on the status of factories that GM plans to close down, let alone on commitments to expanding U.S. manufacturing operations. As Axios' Joanne Muller emails me from Detroit, quote, it buys labor peace for now, but has been costly for both the company and the union. And this is a harbinger of what's to come from the massive disruption of automated and electric vehicles. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great national pasta day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.